0: Superman! The Man
1: of
2: Scream!
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 98 of the Man of Scream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, in the uh, break between uh, the initial Super Friends season and season 2, which will be called All New Super Friends Hour, I am going to take a look at something that aired in 1975. This was the television adaptation of the Broadway musical from 1966, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. This show is most famous for Bob Holiday being in the leading role for, I believe, most of the performances. So that's going to signal a break in Super Friends coverage, and to be honest, it's going to be a break in Superman coverage for about a month, because after this, I'm going to take a week off after this episode, then I'm going to introduce my movie show, which is going to be called Man of Screen at the Movies and that's going to move forward in conjunction with the Man of Screen podcast and I am going to talk about movies that kind of come up in the as I march forward in the show it's, it's kind of going to be a sister show to the uh proper Man of Screen podcast I spoke a little bit about a little bit about this in uh Man of Screen extra number 17 in which Bob Fisher and I talked about Batman 66 so I had initially uh you know so I was to do a man of screen extra you know I had a couple of uh things kicking around in my brain about how I was going to handle this but ha- looking at the schedule looking how kind of things ha- happen I mean a lot of the uh stuff that I'm covering as far as TV goes a lot of these movies come out during the summer so a lot of stuff is between seasons so I just found it best to create like a separate numbering system for the uh Man of Screen movie episodes, which I'm going to call Man of Screen at the Movies, and that's going to start in two weeks with episode number one, really should be episode number two, but kind of episode uh, one of Man at the Movies with Man of Screen Extra 17, but in two weeks you're going to get Man of Screen at the Movies, episode one, and that'll be my coverage of 1976's Rocky, and then the week after that you're going to hear me talk about Star Wars from 1977 before I take another week off and go back into regular coverage with the 1977 all-new Super Friends Hour. After this episode drops, I'm going to take next week off two movie episodes, another week off, and then I'll be back with regular Super Friends coverage and go forward. And I'll announce uh, movie episodes as they uh, come up. So, I just wanted to make my intentions known. Uh, with uh, That way you're not surprised when A, there's no episode next week, and when there's no Superman-related coverage the week after that. But before I get into uh, my coverage of uh, this TV special, if you can call it that, I have some feedback to address from Dave McLevenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode number 88. Dave writes, "'Greetings, Mike. Couple of milestones this time. 88 episodes makes an entire piano keyboard.'" Also, uh, Dave, I just want to let you know that Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, had 88 episodes, over 22 per four seasons. I'm not sure if Superboy had 88 episodes or more. I don't know off the top of my head how many episodes that show had per season. But if it had 22, then it also made 88 episodes, but I don't know for a fact. I do know, however, that Lois and Clark did. However, it's only 88 episodes if you break the pilot into two episodes. But as far as I know, it's really 22 hours of television, so the pilot does count as two episodes. Anyway, back to uh, Dave's Letter. Of course, with extra episodes, you're well over that, but 88 is still noteworthy. Also, reaching the end of your coverage of the formation Superman and Superboy stories is an accomplishment as well. I hope you get a chance during your hiatus to catch your breath and get done whatever you want to get done. You never know what real life will throw at you, but I hope it will all be good stuff. We got to see Superman dealing with some supernatural challenges with the Ghost of the Kilbane Castle and the Japanese Sandman. In both of these segments, Superman seemed to have much less trouble with both Ghost and Sandman than he would have in the comics at the time. Magical or supernatural beings usually posed more trouble in the comics. Like you, I did like the idea that the Scottish Ghost was not really a foe for Superman so much, as he was simply seeking justice for his clan. I also liked, as you did, the fact that Jimmy noticed and commented on Clark's wing to the camera at the end of the Japanese Sandman. Even though they were shorter, I preferred the Superboy segments here as I often do. In the Monster Molecule, I thought, Gee, when were they trying to locate the universal molecule if only they were a superhero who had, say, microscopic vision to help find something so small, but with obviously unique characteristics. It was also a disappointment to have Superboy travel to the 30th century without encountering or mentioning the Legion of Superheroes, but the version of the future in this episode seems very unlike that of the Legion. The Great Kryptonite Caper not only gives us a stereotypically suspicious Lana Lang looking to discover Superboy's secret identity, but Kryptonite seemingly as common as Quartz as it seemed to be in the Silver Age. I love the Silver Age, but sometimes I think it was better to have Kryptonite as rare and relatively unknown as it was on the old George Reef series. I look forward to having the Man of Scream podcast back in my regular feed, but in the meantime, I wish a happy and healthy 2018 for you and yours. So, uh, as usual, I'd like to uh, thank Dave for sending in his feedback. It is always greatly appreciated. And I had a decent new year. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head when this was sent in. Or what the date was for Manuscript Podcast, episode 98. I'm sure it was more than 88, rather. I'm sure it was more than 10 weeks ago. But, you know, I really don't have anything to add to Dave's letter. You know, Dave pretty much did all his points. And one thing I am going to try to limit, especially with the uh, movie episodes being uh, shoehorned in to the Manuscript Podcast, I'm going to try to limit the amount of breaks I'm taking and hoping that, you know, strategic, you know, maybe one or two week breaks will help me. Uh, keep ahead of the game but we'll just see as we go forward but i am definitely planning to work in smaller breaks so that i don't disappear for two months at a time i wasn't really planning to go on a hiatus after the filmation cartoons but the way scheduling happened kind of demanded that i do so so the extra breaks here and there are part of my way to uh keep ahead so with that being said i'm going to take a uh, quick break play a podcast promo i'm going to come back and talk a little bit about the uh, background for it's a bird it's a plane it's superman hang around folks
3: Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, y- you know what? I-, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's, it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman, the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of bailey And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.FortressOfBailey2.com www.SupermanHomePage.com or www.SupermanPodcastNetwork.com
1: Alright, welcome back folks. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, background for this uh, special. It was based on... The Broadway show—it's a bird, it's a plane, is Superman. The uh, musical opened on Broadway at the Alvin Theatre on March 29, 1966. It was directed by Harold Prince with choreography by Ernest Flat. And like I mentioned before, it's famous for starring Bob Holliday as Clark Kent and Superman, Patricia Morand was Lois Lane, Jack Cassidy as Max Makin, and uh, Linda Lavin as Sydney. According to um, my information here, the production had Received generally positive reviews, but didn't really catch on, and it closed after 129 performances on July 17th, 1966. It received three Tony Award nominations for... One for Best Actor in a Musical. That went to Jack Cassidy. Best Featured Actor in a Musical went to uh, Michael O'Sullivan, who was playing the uh, main villain. And and Best Featured Actress in a Musical, uh, which went to Morant. One of the songs... You've Got Possibilities, which was introduced by Linda Lavin, had some success outside of the show as a nightclub and uh, cabaret standard. So at least that portion of the musical seemed to have uh, made it out into the real world. Two productions of the musical were staged the next year in 1967. Both uh, the St. Louis Municipal and Opera and Kansas City Starlight Theater, which titled it in 1966, just titled as Superman, restaged the show, and Bob Holiday played Superman in both productions. Each was an open-air venue, which required required the use of a large crane to show Superman flying. And that was really one of the things I uh, would have loved to have seen on stage. Can you imagine seeing Superman fly on a Broadway show? I mean, I'm pretty sure there have been productions of Peter Pan in which they showed uh, Peter Fly, but I don't know. There's something about seeing Superman fly that you just don't get from Peter Pan. I mean, remember, after all, Peter Pan flew his children in a fairy tale. I don't know if any of my listeners have actually seen It's a Bird of the Planet Superman, but if any of you have, let me know. Send me an email, manascreen uh, at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought of it. If anybody happened to have seen it, I would have loved to have seen some video. But, you know, people weren't taking uh, camcorders into theaters in nineteen sixty six and nineteen sixty seven. So other cast members in these two productions were Karen Morrow as Sydney and Charles Nelson Riley as Dr. Sedgwick. The show was produced at the Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut from June through July 3rd, 1992 with Gabriel, with Gary Jackson playing Superman, Jamie Ross, V.N. Cox, and Gabriel Barr. I don't know anything about those names. A concert version of the show was played on May 14th, 2007 in the Reprise Marvelous Musical Mondays program at, in Los Angeles. That cast featured Cheyenne Jackson as Superman, Jean Louisa Kelly as Lois Lane, Richard Kind as Dr. Sedgwick, Patrick Cassidy in his father's old role of Max Macon, so that's kind of interesting seeing the role passed from father to son, and Charles Strauss in a special appearance as Perry White. From June 15th to 17th, 2007, the musical was presented in concert by New York Theatre's Musicals at Mufti Series in New York City, with Jackson Kelly and Strauss reprising their roles from the Los Angeles concert. I wish I had known about this. Maybe I would have tried to go. I'm not that far from New York City. Others in the cast included... Lisa Laria as Dr. Sedgwick Shoshana Bean as Sydney, David Raj as Max Menken and uh, Bob Holiday the original Broadway Superman attended the uh, matinee on June 16th so that must have been pretty cool from June 18th to July 25th 2010 at the Dallas Theater Center presented a revised version of It's a Bird starring Matt Cavanaugh in the dual role of Clark and Superman Zakiya Young as Lois Patrick Cassidy as Max Menken and Cavanaugh's uh, real life wife Jenny Powers playing the role of Sydney Sharp you know, I find it really cool that uh, Jack Cassidy's son uh, continued to play the role of Max Menken after his father had played it. I'm sure it wasn't one of the greater roles in his father's life, but it's, you know, like I said, a cool bit that uh, father and son played the same role. Kind of like uh, when uh, Tim Daly and Sam Daly both voiced Superman. Fun note, uh, Cassidy developed laryngitis during uh, the run of the show, and choreographer Joel Farrell took over the role until he recovered. A new book for the show was written by playwright and comic book writer Roberto Aguirre-Sarcasa. Kevin Moriarty, the Dallas theater's artistic director, believed the show's can-be-pop art inflected book had not dated well, and he approached uh, Strauss in 2008 for permission to revise it, and Strauss allowed it. The musical setting was moved to 1939, and the show's primary focus was the love triangle between Clark, Lois, and Superman. Songs were cut, new songs were written, and the order of the songs changed. So really, it was apparently a different show from what everybody had come to know from the 60s. Another staged concert production took place as part of the New York City Center's Encore series from March 20th through uh, 2013. Cast included Edward Watts as Superman, Will Swenson as Max Mankin, Jenny Powers playing Lois Lane, Powers played Sydney Sharp in the 2010 Dallas revival. And uh, on March 23rd, Bob Holiday attended it and the show had met the cast. So, pretty cool that it Bob Holiday is kind of following uh, this show around uh, almost wherever it went. And the show actually also premiered in the United Kingdom. It was played in London in March 2014 at the uh, Ye Old Rose and Crown Theatre and was produced by All-Star Productions. After positive reviews said that the uh, star of the show was Charles Strauss and Lee Adams in the score, the show had a limited run in the Leicester Square Theatre in the West End for a limited run in February 2015. And in September 2016, it was played in Germany. So, this little run Superman show from the late 60s is getting a lot of life, uh... In the 50 years since it originally uh, premiered, so that's that's cool that this, that the entire production is not going away and gives me hope that you know maybe I'll actually see it one day. I don't know, but the one thing I didn't like looking back was that it was revised because the the musical director didn't think it fit to modern times It wouldn't be appreciated by modern audiences. One of the things you know Broadway does very well is that it does kind of grab a time period, and most of these shows, as far as I know, are not updated or. As time goes on, and you know, they capture us like a snapshot in time, and I don't, I wouldn't want to see that snapshot change just because time has moved forward. If you're not worried about it, do something original to update it, not, don't do the same show and just in a quote unquote updated fashion. So, on to the 1975 special. This was filmed on video over three days. It's shorter than the original musical. The script was changed, and the, ethnicity of the bad guys is, was changed from, apparently, Chinese acrobats in the stage production to mafia-style gangsters in this one. So, the musical numbers, doing good, it's super nice, so long, big guy. We don't matter at all what all dropped from this production. While the sound of the remaining musical numbers was updated to a more contemporary 1970s sensibility. Which, I'm not sure, I, I mean, I don't get it. I mean, there wasn't that much of a time difference between 1966 and 1975, only nine years were they really trying to stamp out the 60s that much? I mean, a lot of this 1975 production was played for laughs, and it was very campy. So it makes me wonder if the Broadway musical had the same tone, or if it was a little had a little more gravitas to it. I don't know. But there were some additions. The musical number, It's a Great Country, was uh, added just for the TV special. And it was broadcast under the EBC network, under the uh, Wide World of Entertainment Late Night Umbrella. And it received poor critical reception. And it's easy to see why if you watch this thing. I mean, I watched it on YouTube with poor color, and you could tell it was a copy of somebody's old VHS tape, which was wearing out. But I don't know. It's very, you know, low budget. It's supposed to give you the feel that they're basically recording a, a stage musical. And that's not something I'm really a fan of. I don't mind... Broadway musicals—they're not my favorite thing in the world, but I've been to more than my share, and I don't know. To me, there are things that work in a Broadway musical that don't necessarily work in a movie or even on the screen in general. You know, in the theater, I can deal with musical. However, if you put a musical in a movie, you know, I'm not able to follow it there because I don't know. Maybe there's something in my brain that says no. These guys aren't going to break into the song in the middle of the street. No, these mobsters aren't going to start singing in the middle of their warehouse. Something in my mind that won't let me follow a musical to TV or the movies. But perfectly fine with it on Broadway. So, the cast of this star, David Wilson as Superman and Clark Kent. Leslie Ann Warren, who would later go on to screen test for the role of Lois Lane as Superman in the movie. Played the role of Lois Lane here. Loretta Swit played Sidney Carlton. David Wayne... Was Dr. Abner Sedgwick, Alan Ludden was Perry White, and Kenneth Mars played Max Mencken. According to uh, what was reported at the time, viewers felt that the TV production lacked the energy of the original Broadway show. I'm not necessarily sure how many viewers of the remake saw the Broadway show, but apparently the Broadway show was better, and I hope it was. I have no basis for comparison, I just know. What I watched here was so terrible that it borders on parody. I mean, if this was a parody of Superman, I might have been able to follow it where it went. But if this is supposed to be a take of Superman that I'm supposed to care about or even like, no. No, this is just bad. So I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with the uh, synopsis and discussion of the TV version of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. Hang around, folks.
0: Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to
2: me! They're not humans! Everyone, they're
3: here already! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Tanegarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations' response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Albert.
1: Alright, welcome back, folks. So let's get into It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, the uh, TV version, at least. And uh, let's take a brief synopsis that I got from Wikipedia. The plot revolves around Superman's efforts to defeat Dr. Abner Sedgwick, a ten-time Nobel Prize-losing scientist who seeks to avenge the scientific world's dismissal of his brilliance by attempting to destroy the world's symbol of good, Superman. Additionally, Superman comes into a romantic conflict with Max Mankin, a columnist for the Daily Planet newspaper, who resents Lois Lane's attraction to Superman and later teams up with Cedric to destroy Superman. And obviously, Superman comes in, saves the day, defeats some self-doubt, and yeah, that's basically this in a nutshell. Let me talk a little bit about the about the characters. Uh, Kenneth Mars, like I mentioned, was Max Manken He's uh, the first one shown, basically, kind of played as the lead a little bit. And he is. A cortical glamour boy columnist who hates Superman. It doesn't actually say why he hates Superman, just uh, that he does. Then there's Leslie Ann Warren, who plays Lois Lane. She is described as a spunky girl reporter who loves Superman. And you're going to find that her squirrely, high-pitched voice is quite annoying. And I went back after I watched this and looked at her screen test for Superman the movie, and it was nothing like this. Loretta Swit is Sydney Carlton, like I mentioned before, she... Says she appreciates Superman, but she's in love with Macon. And uh, David Wayne plays our favorite uh, mad scientist. He's going to destroy Superman to prove that he is uh, the greatest scientist in the world. Apparently losing the Nobel Prize ten times makes him want to be the greatest criminal mind of our time. time. And he wants to rule the world. Don't they all? David Wilson, like I mentioned before, he... This show lists him as introducing, so perhaps this is Wilson's uh, first uh, screen role. IMDb lists it as his third on-screen role, but probably his biggest uh, of his career at this point. Now, he's wearing an oversized suit with a short tie, and he's standing outside of a phone booth, and, uh, you know, we get to watch him change to Superman in a phone booth at no super speed, and basically what we get is Clark going into the phone booth, uh, rustling around with his clothes a little bit, and a very hard cut to him in his super suit. He speaks with a deeper voice to Superman, which is continuing the Tradition, I guess, started by Bud Collier. But his suit is awful, at least the part that you can see in his opening shot. Neckline is way too low, and the cape just kind of goes around the neckline. The rest of the suit looks okay, but just the neckline and the cape are horrible looking. Very cheaply made. So, what do you want to know about this thing? Well, it's divided into 11 chapters, I want to say. I've only watched this last night, so you'd think it'd be a little fresher in my mind, but... Huh. No, I want to say it was... so It was made in 11 chapters. Very campy. Silly in a Batman 66 type of fashion, so. But unlike Batman 66, this is hardly worth watching. So this production goes through the trouble to tell us Superman's origin, but it's kind of weird that the uh, rocket is labeled One Innocent Babe. Literally written right there on the rocket in big black bold letters. One Innocent Babe. In English so that the uh, kindly farm couple will tell him, will tell whoever finds the rocket exactly what's in it. I mean, it speaks to the origin, giving you exactly what you need to know and no more. It doesn't linger on it. It just goes through it. And this apparently launches into a musical number called We Need Him. Faster than a speeding bullet, slowpoke. More powerful than a locomotive. Sorry about that, Amtrak. Able
0: to leap tall buildings at a single pound. No sweat.
2: What a man! Thank you for Superman! We need him! We need him!
1: And the first thing I'm going to say is you certainly tell this is giving the illusion of shooting a stage musical, and I don't really care for... Productions that are clearly meant to look like you're watching a stage performance. If I'm going to watch a performance on a stage, I'd rather go to a theater and watch one. I don't want to watch it on TV. So, that's that. You know, you can definitely tell it's on a stage. Chapter 2 is Merchant of Doom, and this gives us our first look at Perry White. He is described as a quote-unquote dynamic editor. But the only dynamic I'm seeing is here with this character with a red hair, a little derby hat, and M on his shirt. I'm wondering if this is supposed to be Jimmy Olsen, but he's unnamed. So chapter 2 gives us our first look at the Daily Planet. This is a version of Lois that ignores Clark at every turn. And uh, you see Max Menken writing a column behind Clark in his flashy jacket. And I have a feeling we're about to break into a song here as Lois is going to sing about how she's wasting her life waiting for Superman to either propose to her, ask her out on a date, or whatever it is Lois Lane wants in 1975. And I don't necessarily know that Leslie Ann Warren is doing the singing, but at least when she's singing, the squeaky voice is gone. She also did this bit about asking Clark if he had been there all along twice in the space of three minutes, so, okay, that's going to be a running gag. Clark is quite frumpy looking. He's all disheveled, and as I mentioned before, his tie is way too short, and I guess that's one way of making him look very unsupermanlike. like Then, after we get our first view of the Daily Planet, we get a view of some gangsters here. Apparently, uh, they are part of the Mafia Nation, and they're doing a uh, Pledge of Allegiance to the Mafia, which is a riff on the uh, Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag. And there's a joke in this sequence with when the boss says something is giving crime a bad name, one of the other mobsters, who's just kind of sitting there, one of the henchmen, says, Marlon Brando? My fellow hoods, let me make one thing perfectly
0: clear. There's somebody we gotta take out. Somebody's given crime a very bad name. Marlon Brando? No, you dummy. I'm talking about the big time. I'm putting out a contract on Superman. Superman? Superman? But how What's can that? we rub him out? That's for you slobs to figure out. But I'll tell you this. If that bum is bothering me by the end of this week, yous will
1: all be sent up to the big state
0: pen in the sky. You got me? Uh, oh.
1: uh, Obviously, this is a shot uh, at the Godfather film of 1972. Actually, by 1975, uh... The first two films were Godfather and Godfather Part 2. And this was produced before Brando was cast as Jarrell in Superman, the movie. So, after the fact, I find it mildly funny that they're taking a shot at Marlon Brando about a year or two before he gets cast as Jarrell in Superman. So, the boss uh, wants Superman dead. The boss is uh, played by Malachi throne. I know him best from his role as the Centauri Prime Minister in the Season 2 Babylon 5 episode, The Coming of Shadows. Ironically, his character was unnamed and only appeared in the one episode. And, spoiler, for a 25-year-old show, he was assassinated. Anytime uh, the character was referred to after that, he was referred to as Prime Minister Malachi. The same of the Centauri Emperor, played by Turhan Bey, in that show also unnamed, but referred to as Emperor Turhan going forward. He was also famously in The Menagerie, the episode of Star Trek The Original Series, the only two parter, which incorporated the uh, then unused pilot, The Cage. He played the role of Commodore Jose Mendez. Ironically, he was also in The Cage in an uncredited voice role as The Keeper. And around the same time as his appearance in The Menagerie, he did two episodes of Batman as Falseface. He was also Romulan Senator Pardec in The Unification Two Parter in Season 5 of Star Trek The Next Generation. So, a very well-known character actor with a very distinctive voice. Now, after uh, the boss uh, gives his assignment, he wants Superman dead. The mobsters are going to sing the virtues of capitalism. You know, sing about going into business, buying politicians. This is the aforementioned It's a Great Country number that was added specifically for this TV version. And it's a catchy tune. The dance numbers are simple but fun. And I'm going to be honest here, you haven't lived until you've watched grown men dressed as mobsters doing cartwheels around a warehouse set. This particular number is kind of a sight to behold. And if I have to think about all the numbers that I saw during the uh, production of this show, it's probably my favorite. So after all this, uh, Dr. Sedgwick comes to visit Lois.
2: Dr. Abner Sedgwick! Oh! Oh, I'm so sorry! I I didn't recognize you! Well,
0: that's quite understandable. I'm not... Exactly what you'd call a celebrity.
2: Oh, you're too modest. Why, when anybody speaks of the Metropolis Institute of Technology, they they really mean Dr. Abner Sedgwick. Yeah,
0: you're very kind.
2: Uh, oh, do sit down.
0: Thank you. I have come on a matter of utmost urgency. Oh? Uh, could we uh, speak alone?
2: But we are alone. No, I mean... Oh, Clark, have you been there all along? Uh,
0: Oh, uh, I'll let you speak in private. Um, I got caught in the typewriter.
2: (laughs) (sighs) Oh, just think, Dr. Abner Sedgwick. Oh, I was so disappointed that you didn't win the Nobel Prize last year.
0: Well, as we say in academia, you you can't win them all.
2: Oh, but you haven't won any. Uh Uh Oh, did I say
0: Uh something? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I was overjoyed when Dr. Hashimoto of Tokyo uh, won the prize. We were both working on negative neutrons, you know. But uh, he announced his findings first, the suzy, slurping little, actually a a more charming little neutron negator you could never hope to meet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the urgent problem?
0: Metropolis is doomed. Oh? Yes, you know that new $20 million death ray that we installed at the university last year to put down student uprisings?
2: She no, I don't. Uh, but what about it?
0: Well, it's gone absolutely berserk, and in no time at all, Metropolis will be reduced to a graveyard.
2: No kidding.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But what can I, a, a girl reporter, do?
0: Well, the only person who can save us is Superman. Now you are his friend. You must contact okay. him at once.
2: I'll try. <clears throat> Let me see. Supermarket, super cleaners,
3: super... Boss doesn't need to
0: call me. Super hearing. This looks like a job for... Superman. So, Superman has fallen into my trap. Soon he will face a ray so powerful that even on its shakedown test, it was capable of obliterating an internal revenue agent at a range of 1,000 miles. And Superman will be only inches away. Oh, my goodness gracious.
1: He and he wants to speak to Lois alone, and apparently, and apparently this means Clark has to take his typewriter and go somewhere else, since obviously there's no conference room set for Lois and Sedgwick to go to. And he tells uh, Airhead Lois that Metropolis is doomed because of the, of the death ray that was installed at the university. Who installs a death ray at the university? And who signed off on that? So Clark goes to change to Superman after he hears about the Death Ray and he disappears down a cardboard elevator and emerges from a phone booth. That's the end of Chapter 2. Chapter 3 is Superman Makes It. Good to know. Superman is flying toward MIT, which I am guessing is the uh, Metropolis Institute of Technology. And considering the production values of this show, the flying shot doesn't look that bad. I mean, it's rudimentary at best, but I'm s- and it's no better than anything that was seen in the adventures of superman back in the 50s but i must admit to be surprised to not be not seeing any wires i wonder if i would see wires if this were if i were watching a clearer image of this i mean what i'm watching is pretty cloudy, so i don't know maybe i'm just not seeing them in the poor duplication so superman breaks through a very obviously paper wall and he's blown back by lightning effects that look no better from the lightning effects from crime wave in 1951 The uh, Season 1 episode of The Adventures of Superman, which which I thought was really good. One of my favorite episodes of that series in general. Now, I was waiting for Superman to burst into song after stopping the Death Ray, but he didn't. And then we're going to hear about Cedric's motivations.
0: So, Superman has destroyed the Death Ray. Think I mind? Not at all. It's all part of my master plan to bring him down. Oh, he's a great hero now. But the higher he flies, the further he has to fall. Now, you may ask, why do I want to obliterate Superman? In order to rule the world. You may ask, why do I want to rule the world? In order to obliterate Sweden. You may ask why I want to obliterate Sweden. For revenge to pay those meatballs back for never having awarded me the Nobel Prize. 10 times I was runner up, 10 times, but always. Hey, been sorry, Dr. Cedric, but you blew it again. Look at me, look at me, a 10 time Nobel Prize loser.
1: Okay, so get this, Stay, stay with me here. This guy's entire motivation is to destroy Sweden, because he lost the Nobel Prize ten times. This guy should be proud. Who gets nominated for the Nobel Prize ten times? Really? And why do these guys always want to rule the world? Well, I guess we're going to find out that they don't all want to rule the world. In Superman 2, Lex Luthor will be happy to settle for Australia. Oh, and uh, by the way, Sedgwick got his PhD in 1938, the year Superman debuted in Action Comics number one. I have a hard time believing that's a coincidence. So, Dr. Sedgwick is going to sing about his desire for revenge. You know, not a bad song. Not much dancing here, though. Perhaps uh, David Wayne was a little old to be busting a off. Now, I'm guessing that there were commercials between these chapters. And that brings us to Chapter 4, Sedgwick's Revenge. So, right as Chapter 3, ends, the narrator asks us what he'll have before he dies. And the answer is revenge because he sang about revenge. So, why should the answer be any different? So uh, Minkin overhears all this, and he and Cedric are going to join forces to get rid of Superman, and...
0: Oh, yeah, Will, will oh, you? Yeah. Huh? Huh? Why, well, blast you, I'll... Oh, <laughs> I hope, I hope you're not mistaken, I... Uh, okay. You see, uh, I had a slight upset stomach. Oh, no. no, I'm not mistaken. Not at all. So you hate Superman too, right? Huh? Join the club. You? Me, if it wasn't for that big salami and blue drawers. I'd be number one in this town. Everybody used to read my column before he came along. I was even going into politics. Now he gets all the attention. Not to mention Lois Lane. Perhaps you could be of some assistance to Mm -hmm. me. Join me clandestinely in one hour at this address. MIT. The Metropolis Institute of Technology. In one hour. I promise not to keep you after midnight.
1: Now... Mankin is going to creepily hit on Lois in a textbook case of office sexual harassment and slides into a very creepy musical number. I believe this is called She's the Woman for the man who has everything or something like that or She's the Woman, I don't know. But either way, Lois is trying to run away and he's following her around the office. And this number is giving me chills and not in a good way. The uh, hashtag Me Too movement would have a field day with this. So if they're all that, the sitting on a desk, the crooning in front of her, Lois basically tells Max to get lost in that squeaky voice that she seems to like using here. So this is when Sydney comes in and encourages Lois to do something with her life other than waiting for Superman. She even suggests that she hook up with Clark. But again, we're very heavy-handed with the uh, Lois uh, not knowing Clark exists bit. All right, Chapter 5, The Net Titans. So we're back to our dancing mobsters. They're still looking for ways to destroy Superman, and I have no idea what any of these guys' names are, but... This dude with the mustache here appears to be, uh, the smartest of them all, and that's not saying much. But he heard about the, uh, scientists who installed the Death Ray, and Mustache, uh, heads to, uh, Cedric hoping for something better than a Death Ray. If you f- have to take out Superman, what's better than a Death Ray? And I one note, the, uh, transitions are very comic booky, and they look like comic panels. Yeah, you know, they show the different locations, so. That's cool that the show would at least try to incorporate comic, uh, styles where it could. So Clark will show up at the planet and now we're going to have a musical number as Sydney suggests uh, ways for Clark to clean up. David Wilson does a uh, good job of looking awkward as Clark and I guess this is the opposite of Minkin's number except Clark is uh, not exactly running away from all the attention that he's getting from Sydney. I mean I'm not sure if he looks flattered or horrified but he's not running away. So back at the uh, university uh, the mobsters come in and they try to kidnap the doctor and it seems like Cedric seems turns the table on these guys because he acts like Santa Claus just made a delivery to his house on Christmas Eve because he's always wanted henchmen. And that brings us to Chapter 7. Oh, Clark, have you been there all along? I was ready to quit when I saw that title. I was tired of the Oh, Clark, have you been there all along from the minute it started, especially when she did it twice in the space of maybe three minutes. But we're going to find that Lois and Clark are now an item after one talk with Sidney. The show is implying that Clark and Sidney did uh, more than... Talk, if you know what I mean. And now Clark is a new man full of confidence. Now, I'm not liking the uh, portrayal of Lois that shows her to just be trying to hitch up to somebody. It's very Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane-like, and that is not my favorite interpretation of the character. I much prefer the ambitious go-get-em-reporter Lois Lane as opposed to this. But however, now she's going to think about it, that she's with Clark and... Ugh. I'm noticing here that there's not much Superman in this. At least so far. There's going to be some more Superman later on as we get through. But there's a lot less Superman now. So now during this musical number, it does things the stage show can't. Like Lois' dream sequence. As they're set in wardrobe change from the Daily Planet office to a bedroom to a restaurant. There's just no way for an actress to have that many wardrobe changes without leaving the stage. Just can't happen. So this show did take advantage of the TV medium in that respect. So, I've noticed as we hit the 50-minute mark, we haven't heard Clark or Superman sing, but we will eventually. Now, Perry is pushing Clark around now that the character that I thought was Jimmy or whomever has either quit, left the building, or fallen off a cliff, I'm not sure what. Now, this show will have you believe that Superman came from Brooklyn, because that seems to be the accent David Wilson is using. And a quick trip to IMDB showed me that he's from Jamaica, New York. So, he's from Queens you know, right on Long Island, right over the border from Brooklyn, so. I guess that's a Queen's accent, not a Brooklyn accent. But I was close, without even looking anything up. So now, uh, in Chapter 8, Superman trapped. The Man of Steel is doing a stand-up routine, as the campus laundromat is named after him. And uh, Superman has trouble getting his speech out, as students keep cheering every th- two seconds. Uh, uh, sorry, I was late. There were some Boy Scouts lost in the woods. Uh, I found them.
0: Oh, <laughs> It's really quite an honor to be here today, to have this, uh... Laundry. Laundry thing. Laundry named after me. I've always said that cleanliness was next to superpower. Ah. <laughs> Superman, as you can see, we're all your fans. Yeah, those are pretty keen shirts. Where'd you get them?
2: Uh, Joe here did it. Oh, come on, Jerry. Tell me. I'm an artist, Superman, and all I want to do is draw pictures of you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm an author, Superman, and all I want to do is write stories about you.
3: Thanks, kids.
0: Let us show our appreciation by the simple dedication of this laundry, which is to be named after you. Use it whenever you wish, or oftener if necessary. Yeah. Uh, fellow friends in metropoles, uh, thanks. Thank you very much. I, I love this city. Yeah. He really means it, folks. He really does. Uh, I, I love the people in this city. Yeah. I love the parks and the playgrounds. I, I mean, this is this is my city. This is our city.
1: I vow to protect and defend our town from anyone who might try to do it any harm. So now we're interrupted by a news bulletin. Apparently, Max Mankin is an expert on city hall explosions. His expert commentary is that it's a, that it's an explosion. And Mankin is making his move, trying to paint Superman as negligent. And now all of a sudden, everybody turns on Superman. Although, I'm not sure how they saw this news report. I mean, this is 1975. There are no iPhones. There are no TV screens just happening to be around. They're outside. How did they all hear about this? But, somehow, they did. Alright. Chapter 9. Get Lost Superman. Honestly, with 34 minutes to go, I'm thinking about getting lost. But, we get our first shirt rip of the performance. And, it's Max Macon And, he's revealing a white t-shirt with an M on it in Superman's colors. That is not something I needed to see. Kenneth Mars should keep his suit on at all times. Just saying. I think Max is trying to get back with Sydney in this scene, and it seems to be working, and... And here's another musical number. This one seems longer than the others, and Max is ignoring Sydney much the way Lois ignored Max. And while she's not, uh, paying attention, the mob henchmen come in and take out Max with the back end of a gun, and, uh, this sure says something about being lost in song. Sidney had no idea what was going on behind her. So now, apparently Cedric has this computer that knows everything. Kind of reminds me of, uh... That computer from the Uncle Oscar episode. The machine I believe the machine that can plot crimes. The one that eventually was able to figure out who Superman was. This is a similar machine to that, I guess.
0: Here he is, Doctor! We got him for you! is No! not yell! Now get out of here! Get out of here! That's you! Get out of abner! Does this mean our song and dance days are uh-huh. over? Max Mencken! Did you think you could fool me? my computer has solved the identity of superman oh yes well that's very interesting information superman is a reporter on the daily planet oh yeah he works in the city room oh yeah he is incessantly thinking about lois lane oh yeah now who is faster than a speeding bullet who is more powerful than an express train who can leap over the tallest building? in a single bound. You can, Max Binkin, or should I say, Superman. Don't shoot, oh, don't shoot, Doc. That jerk computer's wrong, wrong. The computer says, it's never wrong. You ever see 2001? You know what happens to smart aleck computers? Honest oh, to be, Doc, I'm not Superman. Well, I do think about Lois Lane a little, but I think about me a lot. I mean, look, I'm weak as a cat, Doc. If I were Superman, would those guys be able to knock me out? Would I be afraid of your gun? Huh? Huh? Well, the son of a gun. Just a minute here. Clark Kent also works in the city room. Clark Kent is always mooning about Lois Lane. Clark Kent? I forgot about him! The computer says it forgot about him too. Everybody does. Well, goodness gracious, Clark Kent is Superman. Hold the phone. You mean to say that Clark Kent is Superman? I mean to say that Clark Kent is Superman. Oh, boy, oh, boy. (laughs) Well, you know about that. I always thought Kent flew a little, but not that way. Well, now that we know his identity, we'll break him. Come on. Where? To Clark Kent's apartment. Superman.
1: You son of a gun. you bad it. So, okay. Even computers are ignoring the fact that Clark Kent exists. So, that's it for Chapter 9. Really not much meat on the bones of this uh, of this show. And Chapter 10 is Curtains for Superman. Here is Superman in his apartment, and he's leaving for work dressed as Superman. And puts his, and is upset that everybody turns on him. And uh, here comes uh, Superman's first musical number. Apparently, when he doesn't have his boots on... He, Superman's costume fits like feety pajamas. And I'm not really liking this musical number as Superman dresses up in his Clark Kent suit. So Superman discovers that his identity has been discovered and he's now with Cedric, and he has been psychologied into believing that he is a freak.
0: Oh, Dr. Sedgwick. Good afternoon, Mr. Kent. Or should I say, Superman? May I come in? Oh, wow. My identity's been discovered. Relax. I'm here to help you. You do need help, you know. Shut the door. Lie down on that couch. I'll sit here. Now, wouldn't you be happier out of that Clark Kent masquerade?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, then take it off. Yeah. Meanwhile.
2: Hello, Lois? This is Clark.
0: Clark Kent. Look, Lois, my cold is worse. (laughs) Shh! Can you come over right away and bring some chicken soup? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that costume, what a prop Your sick ego conceived of that To separate you from the common man Whom you despise Oh, no, no, no And that name, Superman Hmm? Ah, pathetic little boy Playing his sad, sick little jokes Getting his wretched little kicks From the adulation of the masses No, no, the masses really love me. Wouldn't you want I to fly by? Uh, Flying is just a symbol of frustration. Oh, you're a sick, demented creature, Superman. Demented? Did it ever occur to you that that X-ray vision is just another word for voyeurism?
2: Oh. Oh, no. Well, it isn't my fault. I I, I was rejected as a child.
0: I I was shot up in a rocket. (laughs) Oh, of course, blame them if the truth were known. You deserted them. You flew away and allowed them to be blown to smithereens.
2: Oh, Mommy, Mommy, I didn't mean it.
0: And that so-called good you do. That's just to alleviate your terrible haunting guilt. Superman, you're nothing but
2: a freak. A freak? I'm a freak?
0: Well, this has been a very productive session. I'm I have other appointments.
2: Oh, no. Oh, that's Oh, no.
0: <laughs> Did it work? We'll see. Now for the final test.
1: So Lois finds Superman at Clark's apartment and immediately starts fixing herself up. Because, you know, even though she's with Clark, she's a hair Superman. So she's going to doll herself up. No questions about why Superman is in Clark's apartment. But she, um, after she's done dolling herself up, she lets Superman down and proclaims her love for Clark Kent. And this is where this thing just continues to slide off the rails and into utter nonsense.
2: Clark, 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 Lois, <gasps> Superman. Oh. Oh, Superman, I'm so glad you're here. I must talk to you. Oh. Uh, now you know, uh, I've always loved you, oh. but that's different now. You too? Oh, it's not because of City Hall. Oh. I've, I found another, one who can return my love. It's Clark Kent what i've always wanted what i've always wanted just to be a wife that corny life is what i've always wanted now nobody loves me Oh, Superman! That's not true. Yeah. Well, everybody loves you. Uh-huh. Oh, now there are all kinds of love. Uh, there's the love of a little boy for his dog, and there's the love of a man and a woman. And... I don't deserve love. Um, I'm frustrated. Be
0: responsible. Guilty. <gasps> You're in love with Clark Kent. Yes. Well, I'm gonna break him in two!
2: <laughs> what am I talking about? I, I, I don't know what I am, who I am. Well, You're Superman! Oh. You can fly and then and, and oh. stealing and catch bullets and. No.
0: My powers are gone.
2: Oh. Oh, that's nonsense. Your powers are not gone. Mm-hmm. Now, Superman, you look at me. Uh-uh. Superman, you no, look at me! No, 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 no! Me! No, Superman, no, look no. At me. Uh.
0: Thanks, Lois.
3: I needed that.
2: Now. Now you look at me with that magnificent x ray vision of yours. Yeah. X ray
0: vision still works. I can see you perfectly.
2: Wonderful. There. Oh. 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 my God! Oh, God. Oh, my God. God. Turn it off. Turn it off. Yuck. Bones. Sedgwick was right. I'm a freak. Grab the guy report. Oh, Superman, Yuck. save me. Save me. I, I can't. I'm, I'm paralyzed. Get, grab the guy out. freaked out. Oh, it's all psychosomatic, but there's no time for therapy. You must save me now. How? Remember who you are, what you are. Fling open the window, crying out as usual. I'll and away. You ran, Alice. I'm coming. (laughs) Hi, oh, sir.
1: Superman sits down in a chair and starts crying that she loves his alter ego and not him. So, now here is where he devolves into the petulant child Superman, complaining about everything. You know, I saw a list of, like, the worst Superman performances ever. That list lost all credibility, as most of these things usually do. None of These lists don't really have a lot of credibility to begin with, but the list had no credibility when I saw that this was not listed as the worst performance of Superman. There is nothing remotely good about this. Especially now that we're just going completely into Superman crying about nobody loving him. So here's a moment of Superman using his X-ray vision and innuendo makes you think that he's seeing Lois naked as she covers up with a blanket. But he cries later about seeing bones. So um, after all that happened, Lois is kidnapped as Superman sobs in an easy chair. And like I said, we're just getting completely and utterly awful as we get toward the end. So Superman is still moping and carrying a giant anchor and he's going to use it to weigh himself down to the bottom of the river and kill himself. Good. Kill yourself. Finish this show before I kill myself. That's the end of chapter 10 as Superman jumps into the water. Here's chapter 11. Superman triumphant. Okay. He certainly didn't look very triumphant when he was anchoring himself to the ocean floor. But Lois is brought to Dr. Sedgwick and she is at first happy to see him but quickly tied up and... Squeaks a little bit about him being evil. Oh, and by the way, the chair she's tied to is wired to 100 pounds of dynamite. This, of course, leads Lois to break into song about how Superman coming to rescue her. I mean, maybe if Superman had done a little bit more when he was in the easy chair, she wouldn't need as much rescuing, but... Hey, who am I to judge? But at least here, strapped to the chair, Lois is showing some fight. As she's singing her song and... Standing up in the chair and kind of trying to hit people with it. Okay. So when Sedgwick turns on Max, and he gets tied to the chair... Lois is sorry. And what is she sorry for? Thinking that Max was a decent person. I'm sorry that I watched this thing, but that's neither here nor there. And apparently Cedric will not suffer Max's help because he wants to rule the world by himself. And this is when uh, the mobsters turn on the scientist Because they apparently don't need him anymore. And uh, by the way, a Malachi Thrones character who was unnamed now gets his name. He is King Big Boss Man Fifth. So the these mobsters give Cedric a fake award and he's excited about it until he's knocked out. I mean, he's really excited about getting a fake Nobel Prize from these mobsters. You know, like I said, musicals can get away with some weird stuff, but there's a fine line between weird and stupid. So, back at the river, or wherever it is, Superman has failed to drown himself.
0: I blew it again. I forgot. Super lungs.
2: Hey, Joe! Isn't that Superman? Hey, Superman. Hey, oh, Superman, Jerry, Jerry, what want are you doing now? Here.
0: I'm nothing but a freak. Uh, sure. What do you mean, sure?
2: Hey, we knew you were all
0: along. You did?
2: You still idolized me? Hey, there's you... nothing wrong with being a freak. That's right. It just means you're a little different than the rest.
0: Different, you mean better?
2: No, no, no. Just like, um,
0: like more so. Right. Like, take Michelangelo. Only a freak would have taken four years just to paint a ceiling. Right. and, uh, what about... Christopher Columbus. Now, he was such a freak that they had to send him off on a boat. That's right, and uh, and a blinken Hey, freeing the brothers was the freakiest thing of the 1800s. Yeah. What? Huh. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being a freak, man, as long as you freak in the right direction. I've always tried to do good.
2: Then, man, what are you so uptight about?
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah, you know, now that you put it that way, I, you know, I, I'm beginning to feel more like Superman. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute.
2: Wow, all right. Yeah. I am Superman. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jerry, Joe, what can I say? Without you, there wouldn't be
0: a Superman. Get it, Superman. You just do your thing. Right arm. <laughs> Los is in danger.
1: I'm going to split.
2: Up, up. All
1: so. Now he's really depressed because he can't even kill himself. Really? I mean, Superman is invulnerable, can hold his breath indefinitely. I mean, when the show was written in the 60s, Superman didn't even need to hold his breath. He could just exist on the water. What made Superman think he could drown himself? Just not a lot of thought put into the things Superman is doing in this. So Superman has, now that he's failed to drown himself, two hippies show up and remind Superman that the freaks have done a lot of good in the world, and now Superman is happy. I... I don't know. I have no explanations for this. If I had an explanation for this, I'd worry. But, but they said the freaks are good and Superman is happy again and he's gonna go save the day. Oh, freaking stupid. Wow. So Superman shows up to save the day and we're going to have a big dance number fight complete with Bam Pow overlaid on the big screen, very Batman 66. And this number is well choreographed, even, even if it is a bit silly whole thing is largely silly and cheesy, but that's pretty much what the producers were going for, I'm assuming. You know, I have no idea how the Broadway show played, but I wonder if it was silly like this or if it was taken a little more seriously. Again, I'm going to renew my call for anyone who actually saw it to burn into playing Superman on the stage. <laughs> Let me know. Man a screen at gmail.com. So, as this thing ends, mercifully, the explosion turned Max into a good man and sent took into the science editor of the Daily Planet. Okay, you know, I guess if I could buy a Lex Luthor being turned into the science editor of the Daily Planet in a filmation cartoon, I can go with it here. And we get one more. Clark, have you been there all along from Lois? says, as the uh, girl reporter with the squirrel voice reveals that she is still in love with Superman. And then it's over. I never have to watch it again. At least not in its entirety. As a completist, I think I'm glad I've watched this. Just because I've always been kind of curious about it. But it's not good. It's actually pretty terrible. And when I mentioned that I was going to be watching this, before I started watching this, I posted in the Man of Screen Podcast Facebook group, I wrote, Pray for me, I'm about to turn on Superman the Musical. And that elicited some, a couple of likes and some feedback. Gene Hendrix asked, said, It's gotta be better than Superpup, right? And I countered to Gene, this was even before, this was before I even watched it. I wrote, The Superpup was told me 25 minutes, that this is 90, so there might be a sliding scale. And I don't know. I'm thinking about that now. Is this better than Super Pup? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to watch in places. You know, you can't watch this and take it seriously. They're both pretty bad. I don't know. I'm having a hard time saying this is worse than Super Pup because, you know, Super Pup was only 25 minutes and then it was done. This was three times as long, a little bit more than that. So I can't say really whether this is better than Super Pup. Maybe I don't, maybe there's a part of me that doesn't want it to be. I don't know. I will say this, that I'm probably more likely to watch Super Pup again than this. I'm not likely to ever watch either of them again. But if I had to say I'd watch one again, probably Super Pup, because at least that's only 25 minutes. This requires a much longer commitment. So I don't know if I've answered Gene's question. I guess Gene will have to let me know. Then Jim O'Kane is clearly a, a fan of Leslie Ann Warren, because he wrote that I would, that I better not say one bad thing about him. And, uh, He and I went back and forth a little bit about her. And, you know, I liked Leslie Ann Warren. She performed well. She did what the producers asked of her. I'm not sure I really cared for her squeaky squirrel voice, but performance is what it is. It's what the uh, director asked her to do. So that's that. I really don't have anything else to say about it. Having just mentioned the uh, director, I guess I should list some additional cast and crew before I go. Jack Regis was the director, and this was written by... Romeo Muller did the adaptation and was based on libretto by David Newman and Robert Benton. Obviously Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. That's it. I don't have anything else to say about this. Like I said, the next man episode of Man on the Screen proper will be in early June. That is my first episode of the all new Super Friends Hour coverage, and I'll talk a little, little bit about how that format is going to work When during that episode. I'll be off next week and start Two weeks of movies, two weeks I'll talk about Rocky, and we get to that, I'll talk about Star Wars before taking another break. So, if you want to email the show manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just type Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, till you hear from me again, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.
0: Superman!
1: The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo. No opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted. They or original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at amazon.com, Please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the 2TrueFreaks get a little cut on what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.